Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns. This is episode 147, 147. And again, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them for us at the questions section on and comment section on Podbean, or you can email them to me directly at kbmakel at aol.com. That is kbmakel at aol.com. So, you know, we're going to start off, we, we usually start off with something political. I mean, is there any doubt after seeing uh, Joe Biden's climate speech that, that the man has checked out? Um, you know, nobody in the media is really saying it, but the rambling, incoherent speech where he claims to have cancer and something about his mother with oil slicks on the windshield that she had to use her wipers to get rid of and the people in Delaware had the highest cancer rate in in the country I mean just listening to that speech I mean you could just see somebody you know in the assisted living old folks home just sitting there and just rambling and saying this this incoherent stuff I mean and this isn't the first time you know we've we've pointed out over and over and over again you know the the cue cards with you know the the instructions that a child would follow uh, some of the other things it's clear that when he does and, and they can't even control it now in the past they probably used to make sure he had you know 20 hours of sleep and 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 enough caffeine or some other medication so that you know he was fairly lucid and could deliver a speech or do something but now it appears that that's even harder to control that there are times he gets out in front of the camera and you see what you see which is this incoherent rambling you saw it with the gun thing you know the nine millimeter pistol you know all that all that just nonsense um he doesn't get it i mean it's he's he is way past it i mean we're only you know the worst part is has this been like the longest year and a half of our lives of having you know joe biden just wandering around he's only a year and a half in he's got another two and a half years now we've we've kind of said that's probably not going to happen but his term has another two and a half years i don't see how the country survives this this guy's already rambling incoherent i guarantee that given his present rate of decline uh, in two and a half years, he, he is going to be one of those, you know, kind of poor, pathetic people who's sitting in, doesn't know who he is, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what he's saying, has to have skilled nursing care. I mean, that's where this is all going. And I mean, and it's coming sooner rather than later. It's not like he's, you know, I, I give it to a guy, you know, Kissinger's what, in his 90s, and he's still very lucid and and uh, you know makes makes you know cogent points and is very you know has very intelligent things to say biden who's like 79 or 80 um he's he's gone i mean probably i don't know what the percentage is i think i i would say that 40 to 50 percent of the joe biden of 2008 is gone whether you like him or not i mean i don't like him but uh you know 50 percent of him is gone and it's it, it's in dementia it's not coming back 
and uh, I'd like to really know who actually is in charge because it's not Joe it's not Joe at all uh, Biden's America is turning into a horrible place I mean the double standard they just had the the Republican uh, candidate for governor in New York some guy comes up with some you know stabby brass knuckle weapon and tries to injure if not kill him and that guy doesn't even they don't even have to put up bail he's just released right away and yet some people who January 6th did did nothing some people weren't even there like Bannon um, they're threatening with incarceration our, our justice system is collapsing and our justice system is in real real trouble when you have this kind of double standards um, just the kind of even our law enforcement thing you know, look at this you've I mean it's been Uvalde brought it to the forefront but you know policing isn't what it was five years ago I mean it, it's just they're not proactive they, they will come react but uh, you know it's it's all changing our country is crumbling in front of our eyes I mean it's it's crumbling um, the the judiciary is under assault I mean when you have the president encouraging people to go hassle Supreme Court justices because okay you don't like Roe v Wade well in 1973 other people didn't like Roe v Wade either you know I mean I understand that it's an issue and, and all the rest of it and they want to protest in front of the Supreme Court that's all that's all fine following justices around and hassling them and, and, and putting them in personal peril like with the attempted Gorsuch assassination you know this stuff is we've, we've never really seen this our country is crumbling our country is crumbling um, there's nothing and it's only going to get worse no matter who wins what um, I see it getting getting far far worse so I don't know you know and, and of course the drumbeat in the media is for more gun control I mean yeah you know you see it when when you you know flip on your internet and and uh, you know there's always the the news feed there's always something uh, you know doctor explains why the AR-15 is so lethal you know um, the AR-15 is no more lethal than any other weapon that fires that particular cartridge any particular cartridge the AR-15s can fire a whole bunch of cartridges so it's uh you know it's all that one of the one of the funniest things was I was looking at and of course they had a picture of three AR-15s and and they were you know talking about Congress is now crafting a new assault weapons ban you know it's not going to go anywhere because it's written by the fascist communist you know scumbags of the Democratic Party which is what the Democratic Party has become you know anybody who's a hardcore Democrat is a fascist scumbag and probably a communist but anyway the picture they used of these AR-15s two of them didn't have mag there were three three rifles there two of them didn't have magazines and one of them did have a magazine a 20 round magazine that was inserted backwards and and you know this because there's a slight there's a slight you know slant on the bottom of a 20 round magazine 
you know, it kind of, it's a, it's longer in back than it is in front. Well, they've got it flipped around so that it looks dead even in the rifle. Now, how they got it up in there, I don't know. They probably had to pound it. But um, I just thought it was funny. Here are people who are trying to regulate something, and they don't even know the first thing about it. They don't understand it. They don't even have any knowledge of what they're doing. Yet, they're always proffered to us as experts in whatever the cause du jour of the day is. There's always some congressperson who's an expert. You know, remember when Dick Cheney was in Congress? He was a defense expert. That's a bunch of that's a bunch of horse crap. The only thing Dick Cheney was ever an expert in was siphoning off military contract dollars. That's the only thing he was an expert in. He had never served in uniform. He wasn't schooled in the operational or strategic arts. Um, he was not a tactician. He knew nothing of defense. He knew how to bilk and grift money out of the system and you know by and and by essentially presenting himself as an expert uh gaining power and influence that's all dick cheney knew about um and his failed just stupid daughter um can't even she can't even do that but fortunately it won't even be a month from now but fortunately she um will probably get voted out in her primary and then then she can find some job and grift off some large company because of her her name you know she can go to work for the she should become a democrat you know what that's wrong she already is a democrat she is a democrat and she should just uh switch the party th paperwork just to just to make it official you know the a question that always comes up in conversation when you're talking about national events is a civil war coming um i don't know the answer to that the answer i hope is no but i do have this very bad feeling and it's because people have forgotten how to enjoy themselves i mean it used to be summer was there seems to be this you know when when carter Carter was president. They talked about the great national malaise. You know, nobody cared about anything. Uh, you know, nobody celebrated the bicentennial. It just kind of got, you know, lip service and, and the, you know, just the obligatory things. And it wasn't until Reagan came in that people started to get energized about the country. Now we, we don't have a malaise. We have this feeling of impending doom in, in some ways. Um, nobody... You know, around here, summers used to be car shows and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, and, and now those, there's just vestiges of these things. Um, you know, nobody's really into baseball anymore. Not that I was ever really into baseball, but, you know, there's just a lot of things people are doing. There's just not the feeling of well-being. And part of it is the inflation, the economy. The fact that we're in a proxy war with a nuclear armed power that we should not be involved in. And I do feel sorry for the people of Ukraine. I mean, when I it, it really tugs at the heartstrings when you see people who, you know, the house they've lived in for however long they've lived there, years, some cases generationally, 
has just been pulverized. You know, I, I feel very bad for that. No, no country should have to put up with just a capricious invasion and all that. But, you know, not every world problem can become our problem. And, you know, there's enough questions about the corruption, the influence peddling, and all the stuff. And Biden and his his that worthless drug abusing crackhead son of his um they're all involved in that um they're they're up to their eyeballs in it and uh you know it's the the money that's the kickbacks and the money and the influence peddling all that has in lined their pockets pretty handsomely the only the only thing i would ask is you know can hunter biden hey if you're going to smoke dope and cavort with street prostitutes can you could you please stop filming it so that these things aren't found on laptops and cameras and all the rest please stop filming it just just smoke your crack and and romp around with with your gutter trash but don't don't keep filming it i mean it's 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 so disgusting it is absolutely so disgusting but it's a civil war coming, and and uh, outside of this great feeling of doom, I mean, the country is so polarized around um, around some issues that I don't think we can ever unite. You know, I I would say that the civil war uh, certainly we're in the cold civil war phase. I mean, red and blue states are in a cold war. I mean, there's there's no two two ways about it, and Roe v. Wade. Um, is is you know a good example it's like california and new york are going to become abortion destinations and the red states are going to restrict it if not completely eliminate it some some will completely eliminate it some will restrict it and uh you know i i don't have i'm not an expert that is not my my deal but you know when you kind of look at what abortion is I kind of step back and and uh, you know is that a that, that's a practice that if if you're pro-choice you need to step back and take a look at what that practice really is and say you know are there better are there better ways are there if you're pro-choice are there better choices because man alive I mean that that is gruesome but that is only one uh, guns and freedom are another. Uh, there are there are people, you know, there are people trying to put us back into masks because there's yet again another COVID strain, and uh, they want everybody back in masks and 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 who knows what, you know. Um, there's always going to be another COVID strain, and you know, but I find the timing to be rather interesting because you know we know. The Democrats stole the last election using COVID, the COVID as a hoax to stuff ballot boxes. You know, that's that's just, you know, you, you have to be you have to be pretty dense not to admit that. And now another election is coming up where everyone is predicting a slaughter. I don't know if it's going to be that way. I hope it is, but I don't know. And uh, but they may go back to their old tricks to try to salvage you know control of the house or or the even split in the senate or or whatever else but um 
you know, I never trust now that when people talk about COVID, I think when's the nearest election? Because that's probably what they're trying to steal. Uh, more stolen elections will be bad. Pro I, I think we, we're headed towards bad problems because if it's a slaughter, um, a lot of dynamics in Washington change. If the Republicans have a, if, if they gain control of the Senate or, and have an overwhelming thing in the House, number one, I think Biden might be impeached, which would be a good thing. Um, number two, if a Supreme Court justice has to be replaced, if the Republicans are in charge, they're not gonna. There's gonna be no Ruth Gader Ginsburg type justices going in there. This Kachenji Brown Jackson, um, or Jackson Brown, whatever her name is, um, you know, she was the last little little hope that they're gonna get because they had a you know 50-50 split and and. You know, the, the Republicans actually need to win a few seats because there's always some rhinos who will who will side with the Democrats because, hey, that's what they do. That's just what they do. But uh, if the Republicans win and gain possession of both, both the legislative houses and the legislative branch of government, um, then you're going to see the Democratic thug street army, which is Antifa, uh, we're gonna all of a sudden they're gonna be coming out the only reason they're quiet right now is I think they don't want to rile the electorate because they are associated with the Democrats and Democratic causes and so that's the reason we're not really hearing or seeing them but once the elections over then it's gonna be a whole different matter so we could see that the other side of the coin is if the if, if there's a bunch of stolen elections um, there might be a backlash, which is, hey, we don't have an electoral process anymore. Therefore, we're not going to cooperate with with the feds. And, you know, we could see we could see some other kind of issues happening. It won't be street riots, but it'll be something else. So we could see we could see some real problems coming up with this election. This normally has never happened. Normally, midterm elections are like, huh, people yawn, they go out and vote for, you know, whoever they vote for. And, you know, sometimes uh, the House or the Senate switches parties, but, you know, it's not, I don't, I think the stakes are so much higher. We're, we're at the point where every election has high stakes. So we could definitely see it. We could definitely see it. Um, the one thing we have not seen that we could see is, let's just say that the uh, there's a lot of voter irreg election irregularities and the Democrats don't lose uh, one or both of the houses of, of the legislature. I think you're going to see something you ha we don't see right now, and that is red states are going to start banding together. If you're Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, um, Nebraska, you know, the, the heartland of the country is going to come together and say, hey, we're going to have our own kind of informal agreement or formal agreements or informal agreements between states and we're going to be a block. And we are not necessarily going to cooperate with the federal government. And, you know, we could see that. You, you could see that all of a sudden there could be red states 
and blue states start polarizing and grouping together and uh, that will be that will be another possibility uh, in which case you might see something that you really see now in the uh, the Kansas Colorado border which is Colorado there's there's pot all over the place I mean uh, pots legal and and they can't tell legal from illegal pot so there's pot all over that state and if you drive I had to for my job I had to drive from Colorado Springs back to Kansas City uh, and I had a rental car which had Florida plates as soon as I crossed the Kansas border and I was not speeder I was I was a rule follower um, I was pulled over and they kind of checked it out never got a ticket or anything and when I explained who I was and what I was doing everything was cool but they were you know it's clear to me that that was a a pullover because they thought hey SUV I could have a couple of hundred pounds of pot in the back and I'm sure they catch vehicles that do that um, and I've heard that they've pulled I'd heard that this thing happened all the time and it does it happened to me I heard that it happened for a couple years and then it happened to me so we could see some border activity in between states um, that, that would be it that maybe the maybe the Kansas Colorado border is closed and there need there will be some sort of procedure to let people ease on down the road don't know I don't know I don't know how legal or illegal or what the ramifications of that would be but it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility to see something like that so that's what uh, that's what it looks like I think you know civil unrest I, I mean clearly Antifa found out in the 2020 riots that hey you can you can even set up the Chaz or the the what do we call it the the chop or whatever you can set up your own autonomous zone nobody really cares inside a city like Seattle or Portland or you know a big liberal city nobody cares but what they want to do is come out and strike terror into the hearts of people who live in suburbs or people who are rural and um, you know that will be that will be their next their next move whether they're ultimately successful or even marginally successful in that I, I have my doubts but I think that that's something they want to do um, they're just not going to be satisfied with trashing the inner city they're going to go out and trash the people who they see the enemy which are people who live outside of metropolitan areas so that's enough enough of that um, uh, let's see oh I did get some blowback on my criticism of the World War II Jeep as being overrated and uh, of course it was childish and ridiculous you know when somebody says that's the weapon that won World War II and it's like there's only one weapon that won World War II and that was the atomic bomb because that directly caused the Japanese to finally see their situation and surrender uh, the, the Jeep was a good a very good for what it was designed to do and what it did it just wasn't versatile it was not a great combat vehicle um, and neither were the Jeep equivalents in other countries that was my point uh, you know but for what it was designed to do and for as many of them as were needed and, and all this yeah it was fine 
Uh, so that's the that's the criticism I received. I, I couldn't stop laughing because it was from people I knew. I just couldn't stop laughing. The same people who say, well, you know, the, the M1 Garand won World War II. Well, the M1 rifle was an excellent, it was the best infantry rifle of the, of the war. And I would even say that because of the numbers and the training and the people who were equipped with it, it had a much greater impact than the, the STG or any of these other things. But I don't think alone it won the war. What won the war was manufacturing, science, um, advancing and producing really high quality stuff. Uh, just this last weekend, we had one of our vintage military rifle matches. And even using a substitute standard weapon like an O3A3 made by the Smith Corona Company, a company that did not make weapons, did not have a, they, they were typewriter manufacturers that switched over into making, um, you know, kind of a, a second string rifle for the, for the military. Um, the quality was so high that, uh, you know, they, they shoot brilliantly. Um, it, it's, a, it's amazing the quality of a lot of things that were made in the, in the US during World War II. And, uh, you know, I was at a, uh, I was at a Glenn Miller concert about two months ago. And uh, I have to say, um, you know, what happened to us as a country? I mean, the music was so beautiful. Everything was nice when you think about the war effort and all the people who were who were involved. And, and really, you know, it improved the lot of a lot of people who felt that they were pretty much um, underprivileged and disenfranchised. Not that it was all perfect, but it, it made great strides. And that's something that, you know, the country should be really be proud of that, you know, how our population hung together and produced not only for ourselves but for our allies just mountains of of military equipment to wipe evil from the wipe a certain evil off the face of the earth was really really something that uh was commendable that we don't give ourselves credit for and i frankly i don't know if we could do it again i just don't know if we could do it again so that was it oh and I was confronted, <laughs> I say confronted in a friendly way, but in a discussion, um, you know, talking about what do you really need to do to, to protect your yourself and family? I, I'll tell you this right now. If you do not have an AR rifle and you are in a place where you can own one, um, go out and get one right now. There are some places where you can get a, a very basic AR for sub 500 bucks. Um, do that. Buy a case of ammunition, and you know you have some security there. Doesn't have to be the highest quality, you know, most bobble, great, you know, the greatest label AR. These these are are made by manufacturers who are just turning out, you know, basic rifles. But grab one. Grab one, grab a case of ammunition, and for under a thousand dollars, you ha and grab grab some magazines. I'd grab about ten magazines. 
um, and you are going to be in a place where you can defend your family with a very very good weapon and you know you need to do that um, I, I keep talking to guys who say well I'll just take my whatever civilian deer rifle and I'll shoot a guy with an AR and take his well that's just that's fantasy island number one it's immature and it shows you they're not thinking things through it's immature and it's fantasy island that's like saying well if the economy goes bad I'm just gonna go rob a bank you know it's, it's that same kind of immaturity and stupidity um, and I won't even go into why it's so immature and stupid but the best thing you can do you can buy a case of ammunition for about 350 bucks 325 you know something like that you can buy one of these guns from five to about 650 bucks you know for a thousand dollars that's cheap cheap insurance and buy it now because this fall you know it wouldn't take much pressure on the market to make ammunition vanish and a lot of places now are getting flush enough so that you're getting free shipping which is a pretty good deal so you can be getting free shipping and uh, you know so I would it's a yes it's expensive it's not the 19 night late 90s you know where you could get a thousand rounds for a hundred bucks it's not that it, you can get a thousand rounds for about 325 bucks so pay it get it have it and then you've got some you can sight in the rifle you can practice with it a little bit um, and still have you know 600 rounds or 700 rounds left over for the bad times um, that's what I would do that's what I would do uh, if you don't have one get one now because the guns are the guns will disappear because everybody will buy them up and the ammunition will disappear and then it'll be just like COVID where people I want I want but they're not out there unless even at exorbitant prices they're not out there so don't shoot the bad guy don't think you can shoot the bad guy and get the AR that's just not gonna happen alright well that's enough of commentary and and comment on our our pathetic world today uh, let's go to some questions and answers the first question is what is your opinion of the Moz 36 bolt-action rifle um, the Moz 36 is a World War II and post-World War II um, French rifle it's in 7.5 French it's very very strong it's very very ugly but beauty is in the eye of the beholder um, it's very strong they're reasonably accurate um, the problem I have with those is that 7.5 French is difficult to get so you know you're kind of stuck and it's it's essentially it's essentially a 308 Winchester class cartridge so you're not really gaining anything there's no special magic by using 7.5 French it's like 7.5 Swiss um, 7.65 Argentine it's like that they're, they're all in 7.62 NATO they're all in the same power class and uh, frankly you don't you don't gain anything with these other cartridges so um, 
but all in all, it's a good rifle. My, the only criticism I'd have, it does not have a safety, but most people, most soldiers did not use a safety. And the French, you know, basically saw that and said, well, we just don't need to complicate the weapon by putting that kind of thing in. And they didn't, you know, they didn't. Um, so, you know, the safety was keeping your finger off the trigger. So, which is always the best safety is in between your ears. But um, when you chamber around, there is no manual safety on it. Uh, other than that, I I, the, I find the, the styling is hideous, but you know that's that's just the way it is. And uh, but it was a very good rifle, very robust, and uh, so that's my opinion of it. That's that's just it right there. A very good rifle, hard to get ammo. Okay, what is your favorite war movie? Oh, that's a little different. Um, my favorite war movie. Well, let's see. My favorite kind of war movie that was made with people who'd lived through the war and, and had served in the war and all that, it, it's, it's, it's a total fiction, but The Guns of Navarone is an outstanding movie. Uh, outstanding movie. It's, you know, and, and it's great. If you've... It, I, I can't imagine no er, that there's not a person who hasn't seen it, but uh, you know it's just that that all-star cast and they just shine, they complement each other. It's just an excellent, excellent film. Another great film is Where Eagles Dare. That's another great film, and of course there there are the you know the huge classics like The Longest Day and all that. But I, I would say Guns of Navarone is probably my favorite just to watch. It's it's just a great movie. There are a lot of more more modern ones that are much more realistic. Um, you know, Saving Private Ryan and and some of these others are are they're all excellent. You know, there there's a lot of good a lot of good war movies out there. There's also you know, especially made in the 60s, there were a lot of horrible ones. And if it all depends if you're looking for military accuracy with weapons equipment and all that the the later movies are much better the the ones made in the 60s are you know there's there's all kinds of anachronisms and other things <laughs> my my favorite one is i think it's in harm's way where john wayne gets into a, a a jeep quote unquote and it turns out to be a 151 an m151 mutt you know a jeep that was that that came out in the 60s and you know they're driving around in it you can tell because it has horizontal uh, cooling slats in the in the in the front grill instead of the vertical ones. That's the first dead giveaway. But um, yeah, they've made it. They've gotten a lot better. Even to the I think the movie Fury, they actually used the um, Bovington Tank Museum's uh, uh, the only operational Tiger ones still left. You know that could that could actually drive around and and do things. So you know there was a there was definitely uh, has been a push for authenticity, which I think is is great. Okay, here's the next question: What is the best way to carry concealed in a non-permissive environment? Well, I don't recommend. I'm not recommending you do this, but if you're a non-permissive environment means a place where you're not allowed to have a weapon. You're not allowed to carry concealed. So having a weapon there would be a firing, probably a terminating offense, I would think, and may even be arrested. Who knows? Um, 
it depends on the level of security there. Uh, I went to an event where they they actually they they had said I I was fortunate I I was going to carry a small a small pistol with me, and I looked at the deal and they said no concealed weapons blah blah blah, um, and just something told me not to do it so I didn't. And when we got there they wanded us you know they had the wand just like an airport and uh had i had it you know hiding in my pocket or or someplace they would have found it so um if if it's no security measures like that i would say think it over very carefully but um i would get a deep concealment gun and that would be something very very small that has almost zero chance of being detected and the ones I've seen who have done this carry something like a 25 automatic there's not a lot of new ones of those made if any or they carry a two-shot say a 38 or a nine millimeter Derringer type gun um, you know something really micro tiny like that because if anybody sees it or anybody figures it out uh, you probably lost your job so um, you know in in times the people I've known who've done that have been very very much deep concealment like that and um, you know it's they're not great guns to to have if there's an armed intruder but at least you have something at least you have something and so you know it's it's kind of that thing it's um you know you're no, there's no way you're going to get away with a 1911 and and this is in an environment where you absolutely have to have a hundred percent opsec no one not your best friend in there no one can know that you you do that because if they squeal you out and search you even a deep concealment gun can get discovered so i would the, the biggest the biggest protection you have is absolutely keeping your mouth shut not letting anybody know you have it and getting the smallest envelope the smallest package you can and then realizing this realizing this that if it comes down to it and you actually have to use it you will probably have to answer for it you know they um, you will you will probably have negative consequences now of course if it saves your life that's not that's a good trade-off so but uh, understand that if you are caught if, if anybody finds out that you have it that you are probably pretty much unprotected so that's what I would uh, that's what I would say the next one is what do you think of concealed carry insurance well I'm investigating that for myself right now um, I've never really felt that I was that well educated on it to to recommend it or not recommend it the things I've heard are very good so I think I may be taking the plunge here at, at some point in the future but I think it's probably very very wise um, and and it's probably something should have already because you know as as our society continues to a polarize and crumble um, the chance of being involved in an altercation seems to me it's going to increase so um, 
having somebody to help you negotiate what will be left of our justice system is probably a great idea. Okay, this is kind of related to the Jeep question. What is the most underrated equipment of World War II? And I have to think about that. And uh, when I was originally saw that question, I, I paid it a little bit of scrutiny. And kind of over the last couple of days, I've, I've, I've come to an answer that is not really that conventional, which is I think the U.S. uniforms combat uniforms of World War II and combat equipment are actually extremely underrated. Nobody ever really talks about how good the the M1 helmet was. I mean, before that, we had the Brody helmet, you know, that World War I helmet with the big rim on it um, that the British, you know, they continued to use theirs through World War II. But I think our helmet was a lot better. And it, it definitely, it, no helmet in World War II was bulletproof. But as far as protecting you as much as that technology could, the M1 helmet was probably the best there was. So the M1 helmet, the best. Uh, that was that was great. Uh, just if you look at the difference between World War One uniforms, kind of the interwar period, and then World War Two, you can see where a lot of there was just a complete redesign, and the uniforms were more durable, more comfortable, more versatile. The boots were better. Everything, everything had improved. Um, even the uh, even though it was still made out of canvas, all the web equipment was much better. Um, now, I will temper that by saying, compared to nowadays, it's nothing that any army would would want. But you know, 80 years ago. Um, it was really good stuff. It was it was really cutting edge technology, and it really went well. So I really think that uh, we had you know a real advantage. The German uniforms seemed to be you know kind of, they they had kind of World War, late World War One kind of uniforms. Uh, the Japanese had, you know, functional uniforms because they were in the tropics and, and they, they, they did that. And so they were used to that. Uh, a lot of the, you know, some of the British uniforms were, were, you know, they were improved. But nobody really made the change we made to uniforms. And, and uh, you know, our, our combat uniforms were quite good. So I think that's an underrated, uh, the mo probably the most single underrated thing of the, of the war. By underrated, nobody ever talks about it. Nobody ever mentions it. What is the most underrated weapon of World War II? Hmm. That is another interesting question. The most underrated weapon of World War II. There's two things come to mind. And I will say the most underrated weapon, because it was an excellent weapon that nobody really talks about, is the M3 grease gun. Uh, the M3 grease gun was a, it was a real improvement manufacturing-wise and everything else. Uh, it wasn't as snazzy as the Thompson. It, it did not have the Thompson's cool factor, but it was a very powerful, reliable, easy-to-use submachine gun, and it served up through the 1991 Gulf War. So, um, even though it was supposed to be replaced in 1957 by the M14 rifle, how that happens, I don't know, but. Um, you know, it was a very excellent weapon, very excellent design, and 
you know, it, it really, uh, really worked out very, very well. So one of the interesting things about the grease gun is that uh, when they started, you know, Delta Force, as we call it, um, you know, kind of in the, the, the uh, popular culture, when Delta Force started, they had uh, M3 grease guns and they had uh, an optic put on it and they were silenced and and you know that was an excellent weapon um shortly thereafter they were replaced by heckler and Koch mp5s but there was a lot of laudatory remarks saying hey the, and they kept some grease guns on hand may even still have them for all i know um but they there were a lot of laudatory comments saying you know the grease gun has a lot of really positive attributes and uh so it it wasn't like it was completely outclassed by the mp5 so the grease gun absolutely uh another underrated gun another underrated weapon is the sten gun uh in my opinion the sten gun really gets a bad rap because it was for a submachine gun accurate enough it was reliable enough and it was certainly easy to make and it was basically safe enough um the safety was just a notch cut into the receiver but you know that's not bad at all um it was also semi-disposable you know if it got trashed or you lost it it wasn't like losing an expensive gun like a thompson it was you were you were actually losing you know something that could be replaced for about you know what was it seven dollars and fifty cents or whatever the the unit cost of a sten gun was so you know it was actually a very good gun and it actually bailed the british out you know hey they were short of equipment after dunkirk very short of equipment and it took them a couple of years to catch up and the sten caught them up very quickly you know you could give a lot of guys a sten gun um and, and it was, you know, a good, it kind of did what the M1 carbine did for us and what the uh, Thompson and later the uh, M3 grease gun did for us. Gave people this intermediate weapon so that if you're doing something else, uh, you don't have to mess with an SMLE. You have this, you know, comparatively high firepower PDW type weapon that you can, uh, you can use. Very good. And if the, if the Sten was actually such a bad idea, uh, I will tell you that the uh, the Israelis and then the Finns snagged them up after World War II because the the positive attributes of the Sten gun uh, were very very good. And one one area where the Sten gun is superior to the M3 grease gun is it took a nine millimeter pistol cartridge, and so therefore its dimensions were a little bit smaller, and a little bit lighter. And you could carry a little bit more ammunition, um, and you know you saved weight, saved space and weight. All of that was very, very good. And so the the Sten gun was actually um, really a brilliant weapon, very underrated. A lot of people still they call it the stench gun, and and uh, talk about how cheap and and crummy it was, but actually it wasn't really all that crummy and uh, it went well it was not nearly as well made as a uh, mp40 the mp40 was you know a really nice weapon really nice weapon and the sten has some mp40 qualities but it's it's certainly not 
nearly as rakish, nearly as well designed, or nearly as as anything, but it was good enough. It was absolutely good enough, and it lived into uh, post-war service uh, quite a bit. I think even um, well, I know Israel, Finland, and God only knows who else. In British service, it actually. Uh, went up through the Suez crisis which mid 1950s you know the uh, the last of the Sten guns was the uh, um, I think it was called the Mark V and that's the one with the wooden buttstock and and uh, it had improved sights on it it was a, it's it's actually a nice a very nice um, submachine gun and it was re that was replaced by the Sterling which which was a a essentially a Sten gun that would just designed a little a little more I don't want to say better but it was a more a little more advanced design and manufactured to a much higher standard and had a couple of more features that armies feel pretty comfortable with so those are those are the underrated weapons of World War two as a companion question we have what is the most underrated weapon of World War one well, two things come to mind. The one that they never speak about is the cup grenade launcher. Fits on the end of a rifle, and you fire basically a blank through it, and it launches a grenade. And it launches it, you know, 50, 60 yards. Um, those were, you know, those those really kind of came out then, and they they kind of got to that design by having grenades that had a long it almost looked like a cleaning rod attached to them that you would put down the barrel, fire a blank, and and that would, you know, the gas of the blank would shoot that thing out. They they tried those. Those those had accuracy problems. The cup grenade launchers weren't that. They weren't that awesome because you had to you know kind of it was almost like turning your rifle into a mortar. That's what most people don't realize. It's not like you could put a grenade in there and then kind of point it at something and and shoot. You had to have your rifle kind of the butt on the ground and and it would shoot the grenade way up and then and then come down so but though that was an underrated weapon there was nothing like it in the spanish american war and i don't think there was anything like it in the russo japanese war or anything it, it basically was designed in france and as a way to kind of launch you know tr trench warfare you know you had to shoot things up high that's why mortars became so important uh, because you couldn't get the direct fire um, line of sight so you had to fire things kind of you know looping up in the air <laughs> so you could uh, uh, land them in a trench that was you know 60 or 70 yards away or, or, or whatever so that that was a good piece of equipment as far as anything else goes uh, I think the obvious choice is the model 1917 rifle US model 1917 um, basically you know the, the quick thing is we've talked about this before but the, the basic thing is Springfields were very high quality but were difficult to make the model 1917 was very high quality and easy to make we'd been making them for the British in 303 as their uh, um, pattern 14 rifle and then uh, obviously with the declaration of war in 1917 as that contract for the British had ended, just ended, they said basically we don't have enough Springfields, so we have three choices. 
number one, we can just use all this tooling and try to make spring fields, which is going to take time. Number two, we could just keep producing these things in 303 and give them to our troops. Uh, that was actually a pretty good option, except the 303 does not really feed all that great out of the magazine. And then the third option was we can just do some quick redesign and have it take the uh, 30-06, our already existing 30-06 cartridge, and therefore have a winner and that's what they did and it was an outstanding decision it was brilliantly executed and in fact the only reason that the 1917 did not become the standard service rifle which it should have become was well there were several reasons number one it was not invented here so the there was a fear that the British would say, hey, we owe you a lot of money for all the stuff you bought and all the stuff we bought from you during the war. Because the British owed us a lot of money. They owed a lot of money for munitions and all kinds of things that they bought. Um, there was no Lend-Lease back then. So it was definitely, you know, we put it on their tab and, and the tab was due after the end of the arm, after the end of the war. So there was a fear that the British would say, look, you know, we didn't really mind during the war you making these rifles for your own use, but if you're going to continue to make them and use them, uh, you need to kind of do an offset for the money we owe you. And U.S. government was in no, no, not inclined to do that. They were not in a position to do that. They were not inclined to do that. Another reason was the rifle was not made in the armory system. It's made by private companies. Uh, Winchester and Remington and Eddystone, which had been a Remington subsidiary, kind of broke off. But all that was in private hands. And the workforce was a private workforce. And the fear was, hey, these guys are susceptible to strikes, you know, labor strikes. Uh, we don't want to put our service rifle production in out of our own control we don't want to subcontract or contract that out okay that that was a, that was probably a big reason the other reason was of course related to that is if they wanted to do that the government would have to buy all this tooling and they didn't want to do that you know why why pay for all this tooling so they didn't want to do that the third reason was the 1917 does not have a windage adjustable rear sight even though it possesses excellent combat sights the only way to do a windage adjustment for sighting in is to adjust the front sight with a tool which you know is fine except when you're at the national matches um, the problem is you you know you need to make wind corrections all the time especially when you're shooting at the longer range and so obviously it's not feasible to do that um, with a front windage adjustable sight that requires a special tool. The 1903 just has a little knob you turn and you can you can do it. So uh, the first year they had the national matches after the war, the 1917 rifle was there and it performed, quote, poorly, quote, unquote, um, simply because it didn't have a windage adjustable thing. I think that was probably a lot more just another reason and I think it was probably ginned up a little bit I don't think that was a really hardcore reason to do that 
But anyway, the rifles all went into storage, and, you know, National Guard used them, and then in World War II they were used for training and, and various other things. We armed the French with them. We even gave some to the China, nationalist Chinese and, and uh, all that. But, um, you know, it was, it was an outstandingly excellent rifle that certainly deserved more fame than what it, what it received. At one time, three-quarters of the American Expeditionary Force in France during World War I was equipped with the 1917 rifle. Um, you know, it was strong, it was accurate, it had great sights, and I, I think they have a good trigger. Um, the only criticism I have of it is I don't... I, like most riflemen, do not like clothes on cocking because I grew up with cock on opening uh, rifles like the Springfield and like uh, most of the commercial sporting rifles so therefore it feels a little awkward to me to be closing having a cock on closing uh, that was kind of a British thing and they just never redesigned that had they redesigned that I think uh, um, and they could do that very simply for years they sold kits that you could just you could drop in I think it was a firing pin and a few other things and and it would um, cock on opening but um you know it was um it was definitely something that mitigated against them so yeah had they redesigned that it might have been even more successful if they'd done that and even had put just a a reasonable which could have easily been done put a a windage adjustable adjustment on the rear side um had they done that i think there was an excellent chance it would have replace the 1903. The 1903 would be a footnote in history rather than an icon. Right now it's an icon, you know, it's, and really it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's not deserved, but it's really overrated and the 1917 is really underrated in my opinion. So that's the, that's the companion question. Um, anyway, that's it for this edition of Old School Guns the podcast that tells you like it is and again if you have any questions or comments leave them in the comments section on podbean or email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com that is kbmakel at aol.com and until next time this is old school guns out